Before I read the lesson tonight and preach, and this is by no means a warning, nor is it a disclaimer, but uh, tonight's sermon deals with a serious topic. And I want you to know, especially because uh, some of you come with children, that I'm uh, choosing my vocabulary and my words of reference very carefully. I'm not trying to skirt around issues, but I'm trying to speak in a way um, that would be appropriate, given the fact that we have um, full-grown adults here and precious young people. And I'm trusting moms and dads and guardians and grandparents to be able to talk with their little ones uh, if they have questions about tonight's message uh, later tonight or tomorrow. And I'll use the same uh, pastoral care, not caution, but pastoral care as I preach uh, the message tomorrow at all three services. So we have this reading from John, his first letter, um, the first chapter, verses 1 to 10. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our own eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testified to it, and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. She was a delightful young woman a long time ago. Enjoying life. When I first came to know her as a high school student. She eventually became a member of the congregation I was serving well over 30 years ago, fresh out of seminary, very wet behind the ears. And tonight we're going to call her Susie Smith. That's not her real name. But even though it's been a lifetime since the things took place that I'm going to share with you, I still feel this need to protect her So I'm not using her real name. Susie and her parents joined the congregation I was serving about two years after I joined the staff there. Her parents, when they were kids, had participated in churches, but they'd fallen away like a lot of baby boomers. They had fallen away from the holy habits of worship and prayer and Christian service. But Susie's family had neighbors who were members of my congregation. And they invited this family to join them in worship every week. Come, worship with us this Sunday. 
And the Smiths were polite when they said, no, 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 countless times. But one week, their answer was finally yes. I don't know, maybe it was just to tell the people that kept inviting them to finally be quiet, we'll come. And then maybe they could just be done with it. But when they finally said yes to that persistent invitation, that's when Susie, her parents, and her brothers and sisters started their journey in the body of Christ with that congregation I was serving so many years ago. That yes was the beginning of their affiliation with the people of God. And I watched them as they were blessed by the worship, by the fellowship, by the love. They all attended the new member classes and joined together as a family. Susie came alive with a love of God that was just contagious. And it spilled over into the lives of the children in our congregation because as a high school student with a full load and working a part-time job and involved in a lot of extracurricular activities, she volunteered as a junior in high school to start teaching Sunday school. And she helped with vacation Bible school. And the boys and girls loved her. She then graduated and enrolled at a university that was about two or three hours away from that town. She'd worked hard in high school. She was an honor student, done well. She was going to college on scholarship. And I look forward every December to seeing all those college kids coming home for the holidays. Back then, I know I'm old. We called it Christmas break. It wasn't winter solstice. I still remember the Christmas vacation when Susie dropped by my church office unannounced. And she was not her, usually, her usual cheery, upbeat, positive, bubbly self. In fact, as soon as she came into my office, she started to weep. And after she was able to catch her breath from the sobbing, she told me that she'd made a terrible mistake and that she felt so ashamed of herself. She said, I know better, Pastor, but I went ahead and did something I shouldn't have, and I'm not proud of it. And finally, she told me that she was with child. And that the father of the baby in her womb was not a man that she could ever see herself marry and spend the rest of her life with. Besides that, the father of this child had already told her, I want nothing to do with you. He left her and abandoned her. Susie told me she was afraid of telling her parents because she knew how disappointed and angry they'd be. So she asked me to go to her house with her as she told mom and dad what had happened. I did. I was 29 years old. I don't mind telling you that I was more than a little nervous. There are no classes for stuff like this in seminary. When we went into the home and Susie told her mom and dad what was going on, there were tears. There's lots of sadness. And there were what I came to realize many years later, the usual questions. How could you do such a thing? What were you thinking? 
didn't we warn you about this? And then it was Susie's mom who said, well, we have got to take care of this problem. You're too young to become a mother. This will ruin your life. To which young Susie replied, the baby did nothing wrong. I did. And I'm not going to get rid of my baby because I made a bad choice. Two bad choices won't make this any better. And Susie said, I take full responsibility and I'm going to keep my baby. And that's what she did. She went back to college after Christmas vacation, completed her second term, straight A's, returned home for summer vacation in May. And by then it was quite obvious that she was going to have a baby. It just so happened that the first Sunday she was back in town was the very same Sunday that we were recruiting all the volunteers we needed for our vacation Bible school. And she was, just as in years past, the first one to sign up to help. She wanted to help with all the boys and girls as she had done so effectively and so faithfully in summers past. And later that same week, I think it was a Tuesday afternoon, uh, two married couples, four grown-ups, showed up in my office unannounced, wanting to have a word with me, so my secretary informed me. I invited them into my office, and they proceeded to tell me that they were very disappointed in me as their pastor. They told me that they thought, mistakenly now, that I was a man of God when I first arrived, but it had become clear to them that I was unfit for ministry. And as you might imagine, I felt a little stunned. I wondered what I'd done to make them say such a thing. And I said, what, what is it? What, what's the problem? And the one that acted as a spokesperson said, well, it's Susie Smith, of course. If you were a true man of God, you'd never allow a woman like her to help with vacation Bible school. She has no business being around any child in her sinful condition. They went on to tell me that if I didn't keep her away from Bible school, they would be taking it up with the church council to have me terminated. I'm 29 years old. And they said if the council won't back us, then we'll be looking for a new congregation. Susie taught vacation Bible school that summer. The council stood by me. Most importantly, most importantly, they stood by Susie. And those two couples did find a new church. A church they told me in kind of a parting salvo that's not soft on sin like you are, Pastor Wilder. Serious topic, huh? I warned you. 
And I want you to think theologically with me tonight. Our Theos Logos, our God talk, our reflection on the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I want you to think about this with me theologically in light of our text. If Susie had gone ahead and ended her pregnancy like so many told her she should, who would have known? She could have quietly kept it all a secret from her pastor, from her parents, from her congregation, but not her God. Had Susie quietly and secretly ended that pregnancy, then those four people who didn't want a woman in her sinful condition to be allowed to serve with the children would have thought kindly of her, forgiving so generously of her time. They would have praised her for being a wonderful servant and volunteering. But instead, Susie took responsibility full responsibility for her actions though the father of that child would not she knew and she acknowledged before God that she had made a life changing mistake but she gave birth to that little boy as it turns out and those four people in the congregation who left wanted to punish her for doing the right thing given the predicament in which she found herself by her own doing. And in one of the greatest ironies of my life as a pastor, one of those four people was later arrested, found guilty, and sent to prison about two years after they left the congregation I was serving and their new pastor, who was not soft on sin, refused to visit the man when he was in prison and would not provide pastoral care for his wife either. The Word of God tells us in our reading tonight, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Susie had only been attending worship, participating in the life of the church for a couple of years when all this unfolded. But she'd already learned that God wanted her to be honest and truthful about her life. She confessed her sin. She confessed it to her Father in heaven. She confessed and asked for her parents' forgiveness. And imagine this, as a college kid, she had the audacity to believe the Word of God, that He is faithful, that He is merciful, that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. She had the audacity to believe that God could cleanse her from all unrighteousness. The four people who left the church angrily had been churchgoers longer than Susie was alive. 
Yet I think they demonstrated they really didn't want to hear what God has to say about all of us. If we say we've not sinned, we're telling God he's a liar. Those four people thought our congregation was soft on sin. But we weren't. Not in the least. We took the reality of sin and its consequences most seriously. But we also took the grace of God and the promise of mercy to sinners who repent just as seriously as we took our sinful condition. That new church they found that claimed it wasn't soft on sin apparently was rather soft and weak and lacking when it comes to grace, mercy, forgiveness, and compassion. Having served four congregations in four very different communities since back then, I've been privileged to spend a lot of my time sharing my faith in Jesus Christ with people who've never attended church. And when they don't take me up the first time, I ask them, why not? What's keeping you away? Now, a few of them describe themselves as skeptics, agnostics. Fewer just come out and say, well, Bruce, I'm an atheist. Leave me alone. That happens rarely. The overwhelming majority of the time, folks I invite to experience the body of Christ who haven't yet say one of two things. The first has to do with self-perception. They'll say things like, I don't need church. I'm a good person. I don't need forgiveness. I've never killed anybody. I've not robbed a bank. I haven't cheated on my wife. I haven't cheated on my husband. Yet God tells every single one of us that we've all fallen short, that every human being needs his love, needs his grace, and that Jesus died for the sins of the world, (laughs) and that includes everyone who inhabits planet Earth, so that every single one of us is in need of God's love and mercy. So to those who think they are perfect and without guilt before God, I think they're only kidding themselves. In fact, the Bible says they're lying. That's the word of God, not me putting it that way. And there's little we can do among those who have such arrogance and such hard hearts, those living in the darkness as opposed to the light. We can only pray for them and offer the best witness we can of walking humbly and faithfully with God so that someday their eyes might be opened. But in addition to the self-perception, there are people who express to me their church perception. I was reminded of this just last month in December when I invited a young person I know to come here and worship on Christmas Eve. And he said, are you kidding? Are you kidding? If I went to church, I'd only feel worse. I made a mess of my life, he said. So why would I want to go to church and be with all those people who'd look down on me? 
Perhaps the people who feel like this young man have met too many church-going folks like the four way back when who wanted Susie out of vacation Bible school. And when you meet someone who has this kind of church perception, oh, well, here we can do much. We can love people like that with the love of Jesus. We can welcome and encourage them mercifully with grace. We can tell them our own stories of falling short of God's calling. They don't need self-righteousness. They don't need arrogance. They need transparency and honesty from people who know what it's like to experience the love of God in the brokenness of their lives. One of the greatest joys of my ministry was baptizing Susie's little baby boy. Years later, that joy would be increased when she sent me photographs of his confirmation day after I'd moved away to a new church. And then that joy increased when I saw a picture of his high school graduation. He's now a 31-year-old man. And he's committed to Jesus Christ, and he's involved in the life of his congregation back in Virginia. As I share Susie's story with you tonight, perhaps you've already identified with her. And since I'm a 60-year-old pastor, not the 29-year-old pastor I was way back when, I'm not nearly as naive as I used to be. I'm acutely aware that some of you sisters in Christ may have found yourself in Susie's situation. And maybe you made a different decision. Perhaps you didn't have a pastor. Perhaps you didn't have a community of Christian friends who would walk with you and support you and love you through that. And because I'm not as naive as I used to be, I'm also acutely aware that some of you brothers may be remembering a time when you didn't take responsibility for your actions. You may not have been as honest or brave as Susie. It's only by the grace of God I can stand in this pulpit and say, no matter what you've done or where you've been, no matter what took place in your past, God is a God of love and God still loves you. God knows what happened in your past, and he absolutely knows what's happened in mine. And he wants you and he wants me to live in the power of his mercy and the promise of his grace. You are not defined by the sins of yesterday in the kingdom of God. You are defined by Jesus, crucified and risen. You are defined and identified by Jesus, who loves you and grants you through the power of his blood, full remission and pardon of all your sins. What took place with Susie was a long time ago. I've heard from a few (laughs) some things I heard back then. You're soft on sin at Faith Lutheran Church. You Lutherans, you talk about grace, grace, grace. You don't take the law seriously. Yes, we do. 
We take sin so seriously, for it grieves God's heart. It put Jesus on the cross. And the sin we take most seriously in this fellowship should be our own sin. And as we take our sin seriously, you and I, where can we go but to Jesus? What can we do but glorify Jesus? What can we do but preach Jesus? What can we do but want to be more like Jesus, who was merciful and gracious to those broken by their sin, marginalized by the self-righteous, haunted by their past, and weighed down with so much shame by the burden of their guilt. We're not soft on sin, and we sure ain't soft on Jesus. He's everything. That's why we're here, isn't it? For in Christ there is new life. The old is washed away because the blood of Jesus can make the foulest clean. And he can take the broken pieces of your life and your story and make you entirely whole and make you absolutely new. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.